Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, the science community, industry, and policymakers to hear their views on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factor Magri, a deviation from my normal track as I take a look at the European heat wave and the pressures this puts on agriculture production in Europe and the continued growth of beef out of Brazil. This is from an Irish perspective and through the lens of a couple of Irish natives, Phelim O'Neill and Anne Finnegan. Welcome to them both. And EU production is down for all the main commodities, cereals, dairy and meat, and in particular cereals and the impact the heatwave is having on stocks. Yeah, I mean, the, the EU's uh, outlook, short-term outlook for 2022 for agricultural markets puts the cereal production forecast down by 2.5% um, for this year. And I think that's despite the expectation of um, of higher output this year, particularly as crop rotation rules were relaxed, um, given the given the, mm-hmm. the global demand for cereals um, resulting from Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, but I mean, look, it's hard not to, um, you know, see the reality of, you know, we've had a few really good days of heat here, which we've enjoyed. Tillage farmers here have enjoyed the heat mm-hmm. uh, in, in drying out the grain and getting the harvest um, well underway. But the reality is that Europe is in the grip of an intense heat wave um, and half of the continent is now under drought alerts or warnings associated with soil moisture deficits and vegetation stress and it's not just in grain um, you know pasture mm. um, is, is struggling uh, irrigation is becoming a huge problem water is now becoming a huge problem in Europe um, and you know, when you look at the the Joint Research Centre of the EU, they issued their um, drought report for July last week, um, and it really is stark when you look at the amount of Europe that is impacted and the severity of the impact, particularly in Portugal, Spain, France, and and parts of Italy. And I mean, in Italy in particular, there's concerns around electricity generation from um, hydro and thermoelectric power stations and and they really are talking about a competition now um between energy and food for water resources which is just you know it's i guess it's something that we have all heard um and we've all received the warnings but it's it is quite incredible uh, to sit down to our nightly news and see it playing out in front of us mm. and see the impact that it's having um on agriculture mm. um and i suppose there's no sign of any let up so really Correct. what what they're saying is you know the next 3 months um we're looking at drier conditions than normal to be expected so <clears throat> the situation may very well get worse Europe in general had a dry spring and of course this has flowed on to a very dry summer and compounding the challenges. Yeah, it's it's ultimately kind of almost a drought on top of a drought. So um, it came on, to, on top of a very dry spring um, and the, the drought and the heat wave has started earlier this year. And look, this isn't, I mean, it's not a European phenomenon in the sense that we've seen this globally this year. Um, it's been marked by like a series of early and intense heat waves. We've seen what happened in India and Pakistan. China was impacted. Parts of the US um, and Japan experiencing a 
above average uh, temperatures. And then the extreme temperatures we're seeing in, in Spain, France and Italy. And I suppose, you know, it's not just it's not just now. It's, you know, it did start in May. Um, then there was a four week period of intense heat in June. And, and now we're seeing those almost record breaking temperatures um, in, in some areas now. And um, the EU um, Copernicus Climate Change Centre are putting this as the second warmest June on record in Europe. And I understand that globally this is the third warmest uh, June on record. Um, and while we may not necessarily um, appreciate that in Ireland, uh, it's certainly, I think it's it's certainly uh, there to see across Europe. And I suppose, look, when you read what... Um, you know what what the climate scientists are saying about this and you know they are saying that this is very much what the IPCC have um have said that is to be expected we're going to see more frequent and severe um heat waves like this in the years to come both in Europe and further afield a challenge for agriculture and a challenge for food production with the dry you could see a stabilization of dairy supply Grain prices are quietly on the move, and of course, they are significantly higher than they were 12 months ago. Will prices continue to rise? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, ultimately, the rubber's hitting the road now, and we're getting into a mm. physical market as opposed to uh, very much a market that was dominated by, um, you know, events and volatility and, yeah. and possibly some element of uh, financial speculation as well. So mm. we are in the, in the midst of the physical market, and that will tell. I certainly think that this probably serves to maintain price pressure you know so the, yes. the 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 falls that we have seen um you would you would expect that that that's probably done now and and that mm. we, we we really need to see where the physical market brings us but i mean globally the market mm. the, the the global expectation is that the harvest will be slightly back this year as well which just given the i mean the, the real challenge, I think, in that is is what's happening more broadly in terms of, um, you know, countries moving to res restrict exports to manage their own domestic yeah. markets, which is really having, a, you know, a huge impact on the global export market and particularly on the most vulnerable countries who are really reliant on grain. So I think even in that context, um, you know, you're talking about a very tight market. Um, I, I think I think there's price pressure there. Absolutely, I yeah. think there's there's a lot of variables feeding into it that would say that the, that that there is price pressure. But it's look, it's 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 all to play with. Uh, gets underway. Phelan, what about the surge in Brazilian beef production? Yes, uh, it's interesting just listening to the discussion there, the effect of, of drought in Europe and, and the whole wider uh, climate piece. And uh, yeah, we, we've looked this week just at the Brazilian export figures for the first half of this year. Uh, again, and, and records in Brazilian exports are something that just uh, keep occurring. Uh, it's another record performance this year. Uh, they're running, uh, well, 20% ahead of last year for the first six months of last year. And, uh, you know, the, the reality is, like and and you know to put to put some uh, 
numbers on that uh, you're talking about uh, an extra uh, over a hundred thousand ton uh, of extra product that has uh, has come on to international markets from brazil so uh, the other thing too that was interesting of course and again irish farmers the minute are feeling the squeeze and have felt the squeeze over recent weeks of uh, of fallen beef prices now uh, we just looked in and stretched this out a little bit further and looked at the at the world price situation and the interesting thing is that the the prices is, is hanging up around five euro a kilo or better in many of the major exporting countries in the US, for example, in Australia, and indeed Argentina, which would normally be one of the lower price countries. Now, Brazil, mm. the prices have come back in recent weeks. They did hit a high of 420 a kilo equivalent earlier this year. Uh, they're now back uh, below uh, the equivalent of 4 euro a kilo. Uh, but the reality of life is that, uh, you know, while we talk in Ireland here and we wait for whatever the targets that will be set uh, for the sector, uh, the reality is that uh, Brazil is continuing to grow as indeed this industry has predicted that it would do. You know, there's no surprises here for anyone. Phelan, that price you mentioned for US and Argentinian beef, did you say five dollars a euro per kilo in the u.s for example if you take if you take the fact that they have a more relaxed trim on the carcass there uh, i've worked it out that it was worth actually five euro 27 a kilo when you took the current exchange rate and applied it to it as well competitively that leaves them in a stronger position than an irish farmer oh absolutely uh, you know that that is the point of this and uh, i think it's worth looking here maybe a little bit too at, at where the u.s are selling like there uh, they're a bit of a conundrum in that they almost import as much beef as the export every year and the reason for that is that they export the higher value steak meat cuts they import the four quarter manufacturing beef this basically drives their the burger business in the u.s which is so big so uh, but the the reality U.S. are selling their steak meat very much into the high, top end of Middle Eastern and indeed Asian markets. They'll be the number one supplier to uh, Japan uh, and to Korea, and they've actually grown their business now to China dramatically over the last couple of years as well. So we have a we have a very very. Um, uh, and, and Ireland, of course, is out of the Chinese market. We never got into the South Korean one, and we're only just starting to do a little bit into into Japan. So, uh, you know, the, the reality is we've looked here in Europe, and, and okay, you may say Irish prices there for a few weeks would have uh, crept to the to the top of the world price, but they've certainly come back with a bang uh, over, over the last week or two. And uh, I suppose the message from this case is that fundamentally the world uh, beef market is sound, it's solid. Uh, there's no major, uh, the, that the demand out there is more than meeting whatever supply is available and that's despite the rising volume that's coming out of Brazil so I, I think I suppose the positive for Irish farmers and that is there that we should probably be heading or, or pretty close to where as, as low as we should be going for the immediate future. What all farming nations need is a significant shift in their farm gate returns for their products if they can hit sustainability targets in their systems but in reality to get those premiums in global markets it's quite tough, isn't it? Uh, very much so. Uh, what nobody is telling farmers uh, is where this price will be secured or obtained. Uh, you know, the reality is that markets are very much getting to the point where, you know, the, the sustainable piece is almost built in as part of the specification nearly at this stage. And I know our, our colleague, Noel Barden, had been in the Netherlands last week on a different mission altogether, but uh, he and I are looking at the relative pricing and what Dutch supermarkets are looking for. And But uh, just parking it there for the moment and, and picking up then and extending into the marketplace uh, what Eamon Ryan was saying there we just featured it briefly in World News this week 
uh, about Co-op Sweden uh, selling methane uh, reduced beef uh, mm-hmm. is how they're they're promoting it. And uh, Co-op Sweden now would be uh, would would be one of the top supermarket groups in Sweden. They would uh, really go to town and emphasise in their sustainability credentials. I know all retailers do, but they make a particular virtue of it. Uh, and they have uh, uh, talked this week about the partnership that they've established with a supplier company uh, and and another uh, third company then that uh, has specialised in adapting seaweed for animal feed. Now, when, whenever you drill into it a little bit, uh, you can see that it is a relatively small quantity of product that they have on sale uh, in a small number of stores. And uh, the bottom line is, and they, they talk about ramping up production in, in the coming years, that they can de- deliver more of this product. And uh, whilst uh, the Swedish co-op claimed to be, or, or co-op Sweden claimed to be a world leader in this space, you know, it's an area that's been explored extensively in Australia and New Zealand. And the company that you'll be more familiar with in the dairy sector, Fonterra, uh, have been investing in and they're trialling and they're currently doing on-farm trials uh, to see how uh, the theory, if you like, that works in the laboratory that can deliver an 80% of reduction in emissions, uh, how that will f- uh, work out whenever it's applied to an on-farm situation. Uh, look, it's, it's an area that's worth watching. Um, I, I'm a little bit sceptical at this stage where a major supermarket chain or retailer goes out and and proclaims these credentials very loudly. Like if you take a, a flight on several airlines at the moment, you'll be told that the fuel used in this flight has been offset. Uh, and and the, how it's offset is that they have uh, bought up uh, a number of hectares of forestry somewhere else in the world. So uh, it's, it's a space this that has to be watched and developed. There does not seem to be cohesion or interlinking between sectors in terms of emissions targets and sustainability. Each sector is in many ways working in silos. Is that what you see in Ireland? I'm not a farmer, but if I were a farmer, I would struggle with understanding. Mm. You know, we have no measurement at farm level. No farmer can understand you know, well, what is the resource that's on my farm? Um, How do I measure that? Then if I am to take improvements that are, you know, that are science-led improvements, what will they deliver? What will they cost? What will they deliver? What will the benefit be for the environment, for the climate? And how will I be remunerated for that, either through the market or through public money? And can I offset, like you say, you know, if I go down the road of energy generation on my farm, putting some or panels on my roof can i offset that against the the emissions that i generate on my farm and obviously the policy roadmap in the eu is providing for that but i think that that kicks in beyond 2026 kind of up to 2030 and you know so it's like we hear a huge amount of criticism of farmers and we hear politicians at times who are almost evangelical walk with us it will be better there will be an income stream Thank you to both Phelim and Anne. An interesting conversation and one we can draw some similarities to back home here in New Zealand. The constant pressure on farmers is real, whether it is policy pressure, market conditions or environmental challenges. One thing that of course sticks out for me is the ever increasing demand for food, which cannot be ignored. And we need to help our farmers continue to meet that need. Just on meeting needs, a quick thank you from the Rural Support Trust to everyone that has helped out with the devastating floods in the top of the south. If you are in a position to help in any way, then please reach out to the Rural Support Trust as the clean-up continues. 
I know that fences are in need up that way as it currently stands. That's all for me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.